Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My eye made me look possessed. Nature's deadliest organisms. These parasites eat the eyeball. They hijack our bodies. He was hooked up to multiple machines. I didn't even know what to make of the, the scene. Disable our immune systems. She came out and said, I don't know what this is. And eat us from within. I didn't want her in any more pain. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Melanie Smith and her mother, Rhonda, are from the small town of Oxford Junction, Iowa. My mom and I are both the type A personality. We are very close. Melanie is very strong-willed, very determined. She's a chip off the old block. Rhonda is a retired paramedic, and Melanie plans to follow in her mom's footsteps. I know how I want to care for my patients because my mom was good at it. She had a huge influence, so that's why I chose the nursing field. Melanie's caring and loving, and she's a great protector. She's got the personality that you never give up. It's a week into her first semester at college. Melanie is on campus. I woke up in my dorm room, and I felt like there was something in my eye. I went and looked in the mirror. There was nothing in it, but the white of my eye was beginning to turn red. I was not worried, but I thought it was strange. Melanie heads to class. I stepped outdoors and immediately felt the light sensitivity when the sun hit me. And it made me cringe because it hurt my eye and it caused pain. I had to shield my eyes to help protect my eye from the sun. 
Concerned, Melanie calls her mother, Rhonda. I was at home watching TV. The phone rang and it was Melanie. And she stated that she had sensitivity to light. It felt like sandpaper in her eye. I worried about her. So, a few days later, Rhonda takes Melanie to the family's optometrist. At the appointment, the doctor brought the scope up to my eye, and I kind of cringed because it hurts. When he finished, he said that it was an infection, and he gave her some eye drops. I felt relieved and knew that that was probably what he was going to tell me. Melanie takes the medication and heads back to school. A few days later, she tries out for the varsity softball team. I wanted to give a good first impression to our head coach. The coach hit a fly ball out to center field where I was. And normally those are a piece of cake. I saw the ball coming towards me, but it was hard to judge the depth perception as to where the ball was. and I missed the ball. I felt humiliated, I felt embarrassed. Everybody thought I was a bad player by missing an easy fly ball, but I knew I wasn't. Melanie returns to her dorm. She continues taking the medication, but the next morning, she wakes to a nasty surprise. When I woke up, my eye felt more swollen. I went and looked at it in the mirror and my lid was drooping down my face. Being a freshman at college, that's one of the things you're worried about is how you look. I was beginning to get a little upset and worried. I wore sunglasses and my ball cap so people couldn't see it. Melanie heads out, but her eye problem only gets worse. I was sitting in class, and my eye started to water. And I couldn't get it to stop watering. I had people asking me if I had pink eye and if I should really be in class at that time. I felt like people were judging me. I was feeling upset as well as worried, because after using the eye drops for so long, it should have been getting better, and it wasn't. Melanie excuses herself from class and calls her mother. I was at work, got a phone call, and it was Melanie. Her eye was getting worse. I told her we should get a second opinion. My mom just reassured me. It was very comforting to know that she's willing to be there for me and let me know that everything's going to be all right. A few days later, Rhonda and Melanie meet ophthalmologist Dr. John Sutphin. When I first met Melanie, her eye was very red. She was very light sensitive and seemed to be in pain. When I looked at the microscope, I could tell instantly what the problem was. Melanie had a parasite. Melanie had acanthamoeba keratitis. I had never heard of it before, ever. Acanthamoeba keratitis is caused by a parasite called acanthamoeba. Inside Melanie's eye, 
the acantamoeba parasites are feeding off the naturally occurring bacteria that live just above the lens of her eye. But when their food source runs out, the parasites eat the cells of the eyeball itself, leading to Melanie's eye pain, light sensitivity, and difficulty seeing. My first thought was it couldn't be happening to Melanie, of all people. It couldn't be happening to her. I was grossed out, but I had no comprehension of how serious this was going to get. What makes the acanthamoeba parasite so dangerous is their ability to burrow deep into the tissue of the eyeball. Once there, they can be very hard to remove or even treat, which allows the parasites to feed on the host's cells unchecked. And Dr. Sutphin has more bad news. I told Melanie that she will have to use drops very similar to pool cleaner used in commercial pools. These drops will be very painful and will be given every hour around the clock for four days in a row. I asked her if she just wanted to come home for us to be there with her to do this. And she said no, she wanted to stay at school. But I don't think I realized what I was taking on. Back at her dorm, Melanie begins the treatment. When I put the eye drops in, the pain it caused was just intense burning. It was a mental battle, knowing that the top of the next hour, you were going to have to do it again. And having to set my alarm clock and get up all hours of the night. Just a continuous cycle of pain. Melanie completes the four-day regimen, but it's not enough. The whole colored part of my eye was turning white. It made me look possessed. And I was starting to lose my eyesight. The parasite was completely taking over. Despite completing a treatment of powerful antiparasitic eye drops, Melanie has been unable to rid herself of the infection. At that point, there's a real risk that the amoeba will lead to blindness or even the loss of the eye. At that moment, my whole world stopped. How was I going to be able to finish school? What was I going to do with my career? It's like all of her hopes and dreams and wishes for her life were all going in the gutter. I cried. Um, Mom and I both cried. We, we didn't know what to say to each other and how to handle it. So we just, we cried it out to deal with it and just said we'd take the next steps that we had to in order to get through this. To save her eye, she needed a corneal transplant. But there are potential complications. He said that my body might not accept this foreign tissue. And even if everything is successful with the surgery, the infection may persist or come back. Either outcome could leave Melanie permanently blind in her right eye. I was shocked. Rhonda accompanies Melanie for the corneal transplant. I was afraid for her 
but I didn't want her in any more pain. I would have traded places with her in a minute, in a heartbeat. Doctors wheel Melanie into the OR. The surgery requires removing a small circle of cornea that we liken to using a cookie cutter and then taking a similar piece from a donor cornea and sewing it in place. Only time will tell whether the transplant will be successful and Melanie will get her vision back. The surgeons complete the transplant and take Melanie to the recovery room. The following day, the doctors return. They sat me down and slowly unwrapped my bandage over my right eye. I was afraid I was still wasn't going to be able to see. All I could think was, please, God, make this have worked. And then they took my eye patch off. Dr. Sutphin put up the big letter A, and I was able to see it with my right eye and say it was a big letter A. I was ecstatic that this is it, it's over. I am finally able to see again. We were all happy, smiling, and I thought to myself, God does answer prayers. Acanthamoeba are single-celled organisms that exist across the world. They live in all kinds of freshwater sources, including city water systems in the U.S. The most common way that people contract an acanthamoeba infection is through dirty contact lenses. And that's because contact lenses can cause small abrasions on the surface of the eye through which the parasites can enter the host's body. Melanie believes she contracted the infection just as she was starting college. I was up one night studying late in my dorm room and I ended up falling asleep in my contacts. It was just hard to believe that a one-celled organism could ruin somebody's life. Today, Melanie suffers no lasting effects on her vision, and her bout with the acantamoeba parasites has not held her back. I am a cardiac registered nurse. The doctors made a difference in my life, and I wanted to take that and be able to give it to others. She also credits those closer to home. My mom's been a big part of getting through fighting this bug. I knew she was always a phone call away. It's really easy to do a lot for your kids when they're good kids. And you're proud of them. Acanthamoeba keratitis is rare, with fewer than 200 cases reported each year in the U.S. The CDC recommends that contact lens wearers follow the manufacturer's guidelines when cleaning lenses and not use tap water. For him to be so tiny and so helpless, that definitely worried me. He was close to death. Jason and Alicia Giese live on the outskirts of Topeka, Kansas. Alicia is a very soft-hearted, patient woman. I was really drawn to her because of that. Jason and I, we just click. He's very proactive. 
Once he has it in his mind to do something, he does it, and I'm a little bit more reserved. We were both raised in church with strong core values, so we carry that on into our children's lives. They have two children, four-year-old Madison and six-month-old Elijah. Madison's very free-spirited. She's an outgoing, fun-loving little girl. And Elijah is a very funny kid, always smiling, very determined and strong-willed. Jason works the night shift at a local manufacturing plant, while Alicia stays at home raising the kids. Being blessed and being able to stay home with them and see their everyday growth and interaction, it's more joy than I could ever describe. We'll take them out at the park, and Elijah really enjoys that. And we really enjoy just time with the kids. It's a weekday afternoon in spring, and Jason is getting ready for work. It was just a normal afternoon. You know, walked out to the kitchen area and saw Elijah. His face it looked a little uh, numb. He had problems like closing his mouth, and he was kind of staring off into the distance. He had almost this deer-in-headlights look. Jason suggested that we try to get him in to a doctor. But Alicia said she had an appointment with the breastfeeding clinic that day, and she'd take him in there and show him to the nurses. And I felt at peace he was going to go see a nurse, and I continued to go about my day as usual. Later that day, Alicia takes Elijah to the breastfeeding session. Typically, we'll do a feeding to see how much breast milk he's transferring, and they could see that something was wrong. He didn't really have a very strong latch, didn't seem like he was eating well. He was very lethargic and just moaning. He was in pain. The nurse was very alarmed and that definitely worried me. So I thought that it was the right thing to take him to the hospital. But before she goes, she alerts Jason, who's at work. I started having a concern that something deeper was going on, but the tone of her voice didn't sound too overwhelmed. And she told me to get back to work and, and he'd be all right. Jason stays at work while Alicia takes Elijah to the hospital. Once we got into the exam room, the doctor said that because he hadn't been nursing well, Elijah was becoming dehydrated. They needed to get an IV started to get some fluids in him. But the moment the doctors insert the needle into Elijah's arm, Alicia notices something odd. Usually a baby would have a fairly big reaction to being poked with a needle and Elijah didn't try to pull away or jerk. He just continued to lay there. That was concerning to me, and the doctors were all very alarmed by it. To get to the bottom of Elijah's unresponsiveness, doctors take numerous blood and tissue samples, but the initial results are inconclusive. It was very scary to do that many tests and still not have an answer. I was just determined to figure out what was going on with my son. With no answers, doctors keep Elijah on an IV drip and observe him overnight. 
The doctor came back the next morning to check Elijah's responses and checked his eye movement to see if he would respond to light, but there was no reaction. And Elijah's body was just completely limp. He tried to pick his arm up, it would just fall. Six-month-old Elijah Gisi is in the hospital. His body is limp and he is unresponsive. His mother, Alicia, calls her husband, Jason, to let him know. Alicia is always very calm about everything. And that was the first time I had heard her voice get shaky. I knew something was very wrong, so I immediately rushed up there. An hour later, Jason arrives. When I saw him, my stomach dropped. He looked like he was paralyzed, and his eyes were swollen shut. Me and Alicia looked at each other, just baffled. In the ICU, Jason and Alicia watch over their motionless son. It was very important to me just to be next to him, even though he was physically unable to respond. But suddenly, alarms start going off. He was having trouble breathing. He was starting to gasp for breath. This was getting very serious. It looked like he was close to death. Jason and Alicia rushed to get help. They moved pretty quickly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nurses and doctors were scrambling in and out of the hospital room, almost in a panic. They told us he would need to be intubated and put on a ventilator. For him to be so tiny and so helpless and all this stuff hooked up to him, it was a very scary thing to see. While he was on the ventilator, the doctors kept reminding us that he could still hear and could still feel. So they encouraged us to hold his hand and talk to him and sing to him. He was still in there. But I knew deep down he was screaming inside. 
Elijah remains in the hospital another night. That night, me and Alicia stood around uh, Elijah's bed uh, playing a video of him playing so that he could hear his family members. Even though he was paralyzed, um, gave us a sense that... Uh, Gave, it gave us the sense that our family was still together. I was feeling very frustrated and helpless. Time was our worst enemy, and we needed an answer immediately. Doctors continue their quest to find out what's behind Elijah's mysterious condition. The next morning, they identify something in his stool sample. The doctor came in and told us he had finally discovered what it was. Elijah had infant botulism. I really had not heard of infant botulism. Infant botulism is caused by the bacteria Clostridium botulinum. Inside Elijah's body, the Clostridium botulinum bacteria colonize his gastrointestinal tract. There, the bacteria release neurotoxins that bind onto the nerve cells. This disrupts the nerve's ability to function, leading to Elijah's numbness, paralysis, and lung failure. I was terrified to find out that monster is living inside my son. The neurotoxin released by Clostridium botulinum is among the most potent toxins in nature. Up to one in 10 people who contract the bacteria will die as a result. And those who survive are often left with long-term respiratory conditions and permanent muscle weakness. Even if he were to live, they were telling me Elijah may have motor skill issues possibly the rest of his life. <clears throat> yeah, that was a tough, that was a tough moment. <laughs> Six-month-old Elijah Giese has been diagnosed with infant botulism, which is causing his nervous system to shut down. To save Elijah's life, doctors put him on a specialized antitoxin. We were clinging to the hopes that this was finally the answer. For 24 hours, Jason and Alicia stay by Elijah's side. After they administered the antitoxin, we didn't see any improvement at all that day. And uh, that left us wondering if we'd reached another dead-end street. The following morning, Jason and Alicia look for any signs of progress. Elijah's favorite stuffed animal uh, is a monkey, and uh, I gave it to him and I watched him actually grasp the monkey and move it a little bit. <laughs> there you go. And that really uh, gave us a lot of hope. It was very exciting to see him moving on his own again and starting to open his eyes and look at us again. Huh, baby. Got your eyes open. Look at that. Clostridium botulinum spores survive in a range of different environments, from dust particles to seawater. But in cases of infant botulism, the bacteria are often associated with contaminated soil and honey. 
I immediately went home and looked through all of our cupboards, but we don't have any honey. It could have possibly been from dirt at the park, but still to this day, we haven't figured out where the botulism came from. A month later, they bring Elijah home. Today, two years later, he is developing normally. Elijah's made it a complete recovery. He has no motor skill problems or neurological issues. He is a fun kid to be around. And our family continues to grow. Elijah is now a big brother, has a little sister. So we now have three little ones keeping us busy. <laughs> Having come through all this as a family, uh, it definitely strengthened our faith in God uh, that we can uh, overcome anything. Infant botulism is very rare. There are fewer than 150 cases in the U.S. every year. Because a significant proportion of cases of infant botulism occur through ingesting honey, the CDC recommends that infants under 12 months of age not be fed honey. I knew something was wrong. I screamed and I screamed. My life was on the line. Erica Parks and Marvin Moreno live in the quiet suburbs of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm very strong-minded, independent. With my personality, you kind of know where I stand. Erica is a, a strong woman. She gets what she wants. Erica works in the military as an Air Force officer. The Air Force means a lot to me because my brothers and sisters are all in the military. I've always wanted to help the community and help serve my country. But she also has other ambitions. Being in the military so long and traveling, it was all about me. And then I decided, becoming a mom, it's something that helps change you. You're going to leave a legacy, something left behind. Can't beat that. The couple decides to have a child. And in March, Erica gives birth to a baby girl by C-section. When Shannon was delivered, she was a beautiful baby girl. I was just really happy of having a girl. I can do her hair and put on the pretty dresses. So I was very happy to have a girl. But I was in my room and I started feeling pain in my lower left side. I just figured those were just the pain and aches from the C-section. I was really more focused on my baby girl and just being excited about having a newborn girl versus concentrating on my pain. The second day, I was feeling a little bit better, but as I was getting up, I could see as I was bent over that my left side of my stomach looked a little bit larger than the right side. Something just looked a little lopsided or a little off, and I thought maybe it's some swelling from the C-section surgery. I wasn't really too terribly concerned about that, but I thought I could possibly get some more advice from other people. Erica buzzes for the staff. The nurse gave me an examination and she said, my skin is stretched out because the baby was sitting on one side in the last few weeks of pregnancy. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm military, so I'm like, okay, let's just, you know, salute smartly and move on. But the following day, Erica's torso is still painfully swollen. 
I was having trouble getting up and didn't really want to move because of the incision pressure and pain. The doctor suggested that I move around more and maybe walking would help the incision pain, that it was just sore because I wasn't moving. So I got up to walk and it felt like there was something pulling in my stomach. Every step, it just felt like the pulling was getting worse and worse and the tugging was stronger and stronger. I just wanted to sit down. It felt like I had ran a marathon. I just figured that it was the pain from the stitches. Erica stays off her feet and prepares to nurse her newborn. The nurse brought baby Shannon in. She was handing the baby to me, and as I was reaching, it felt like I had to actually reflexively just recall back because the pain in my abdomen was really, really strong. And I almost dropped her. The nurse was just, like, shocked, and I, I was shocked that I almost dropped her on the floor. I was upset. I was in pain. I was almost in tears. I mean, it was just, just really a bad situation. At that point, the nurse said she would talk to the doctor about increasing the pain medication. Doctors agreed to up the dosage on Erica's painkillers. The next day, Erica is discharged from the hospital and goes home with her baby. I was in bed and I had to reach over to grab Shannon to give her a diaper change. I was reaching for her, trying to get her out of the crib, but I lifted my arms and I felt that stabbing pain in my abdomen. So I couldn't pick her up, couldn't hold her the way I wanted to. Bringing the baby home from the hospital when you're supposed to bond with them and hold them and touch them and caress them, but I really couldn't do that. I really, really wanted to breastfeed, but she was just too heavy. My stomach was really tender and, and swollen. It was just agonizing. So Marvin had to take more of a, a command position. When she had that kind of pain, she can't even get close to her new baby. That made me feel bad for her. I was feeling really depressed. I felt like I let my daughter down. In my head, I didn't know what was going on. I was getting kind of scared. Erica calls her doctor, who changes out her pain medication. But despite this, her abdominal pains persist. As the days go by, Erica notices something else. It was 10 days since I was able to have a bowel movement. I was feeling bloated. My stomach was getting bigger and bigger. I tried to have a bowel movement, but I just didn't have an urge to go. I was just sitting there just pushing and pushing, and there was nothing coming out. The stitches felt like they were going to pop open. So that definitely made me worry. Erica calls her doctor, who provides her prescription-grade laxatives. But they, too, have no effect. The next day, Erica reaches back out to her doctor. I told them that I couldn't just go on like being a mother. I was having a hard time just doing everyday care for my newborn. So then the nurse asked, have you thought about harming yourself or your baby? I was just so upset, and I just couldn't believe she was asking me that. I'm an officer in the Air Force. I was a sound mind and body, and I just wanted somebody to hear me out and somebody to believe in me. That night, 
Erica's condition takes a new turn. I was asleep in bed and I woke up. I was drenched in sweat. I was burning up. And 20 minutes later, I was freezing. It was just like, what else can possibly happen to me? At that point, I realized something's wrong with her. This is not normal. I told her, go to the doctor. Marvin stays with the baby while Erica goes back to the hospital. There, an on-call doctor takes over her care. She took my vitals and my temperature was very high and also my blood pressure was high. The doctor requests a vaginal ultrasound. So the ultrasound tech came in and she got the one to do the internal ultrasound. She's forcefully trying to push it up and it seems like something is blocking it. With every push, it seems like she was hitting something. And that was causing me so much pain. And that's when I really lost it. I screamed and I screamed. And I told them, look, stop doing this. So the technician stops the ultrasound. And doctors run a full body scan. They're taking the x-rays and I'm watching them through the glass wall. And the x-ray technician, she's standing there, she's looking at the scans. And she turns red and she puts her hand over her mouth. And then she runs out of the room. So she goes and gets the second person. So they come in, they look at my skin. There was a big gash, like, oh. And she runs out of the room to get the emergency room doctor on call for that day. He comes in and he turns red. When I saw three people freaking out, I knew something was terribly wrong. My OB doctor came in and she looked like she had been crying. She told me, we left something inside you after your C-section. Inside your abdomen, there is a surgical sponge. I'm like, this cannot be happening. A surgical sponge is a fiber cloth used in operating rooms. Inside Erica's body, the surgical sponge is wrapped around her intestines and is blocking her bowels, leading to her abdominal pain and intestinal dysfunction. As the cloth festers, it leads to Erica's fever, chills, and high blood pressure. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. In the U.S., an estimated 4,000 medical instruments are left inside patients every year. The vast majority are surgical sponges. This is probably because when soaked in the body's own fluids, they can be easily overlooked. If a surgical sponge is left in a patient's abdomen, it can lead to an infection of the intestines, a perforated colon, or even death. My life was on the line. It was very, very serious. The sponge had intertwined with my intestines. They were going to possibly have to cut a piece of my intestines. I could have to wear a colostomy bag. And that was like my worst fear. That just would have been devastating to me. Erica alerts Marvin, who rushes to the hospital. I never imagined to see my wife in uh, that situation. It was one of the worst moments of my life. Doctors wheel Erica into surgery where they begin the delicate procedure. 
For five hours, doctors struggle to extract the sponge from her body cavity. When the operation is complete, they return Erica to the ICU. I came out of surgery and things turned out great. They didn't have to give me the colostomy bag. It was such a relief. That's my wife. She started coming back. I was so happy to finally get to be a mom to my new baby girl, and I was really looking forward to that. Five years later, Erica is leading a normal life and has a growing family. Being a mom, you know, that's great. And I'm just so happy, so thankful for that. You know, it's just, it's just very rewarding. Hospitals in the U.S. employ a range of strategies to prevent surgical teams from leaving medical objects behind in a patient's body. Many facilities do a check of every surgical implement used at the start and at the end of a procedure. Some facilities even use barcoding systems to reduce the number of surgical implements left inside patients after surgery. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.